If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and since we last recorded, Mr. Taylor has been a very busy blogger. Now, run this down for me. You did the Christopher Robin junket, you did the Equalizer junket, plus, of course, you adopted Nova, the world's most wonderful dog. Have I missed anything? That's it. That's. I mean, I was at the Meg junket yesterday, but, but so you, you pretty much summed it up well, yeah. You were at the Meg junket? Yes. Oh. Giant sharks everywhere. Yes. Okay, we're <laughs> going to have to talk about this. I've been following that project since the first really terrible book, and I've been... At one point, I remember Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek. Uh, oh, Patrick yes. Stewart. Patrick Stewart, yeah. At one point, they had they had lined him up for the Jason Stratham role. That gives you some idea how long this film has been in the works. Yes. He doesn't quite have the abs of Jason Statham, but... Well, yeah. there you go. Now, now, speaking of the Equalizer, preliminary box office for the North American Territory came in. And you know it's summer when you're looking at the top five... And four of the films are sequels. Mission Impossible, number one, 61 million. We got Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Distant, number two, with 15 million. Equalizer 2, 14 million. But you liked that, didn't you? Or? Yeah, it was, it was solid, sure. Yeah. Okay. And in the number four position is Hotel Transylvania, Summer Vacation. Did you notice in the UK they're calling it Hotel Transylvania 3, A Monster Vacation? No, that's interesting. Do they not have summers in, in England? or? Well, it's gray, it's wet, who knows? <laughs> that takes the four position at the box office with $12.3 million, which brings its domestic box office today to uh, $19 million overall in North America. And that ends up besting the new animated feature that just came out, Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which you got to see, right? Oh, yeah. I saw this movie, I don't know, maybe a month ago, and I loved it. I thought it was great, and it was so great to see 2D animation, obviously a computerized 2D animation, but still 2D animation on the big screen. It's very funny. I really loved it and, and would heartily recommend it, for sure. I've heard, been hearing from friends between... The Stan Lee cameo and the not to give away the Teen Titans thing that they do in the end credits, which I think that was a brilliant touch. I really would like to have seen this to do better numbers, but I guess in our Netflix world, it's not like this will, in fact, go away. People can discover it after it finishes its theatrical run, but it's really fun, really clever. Yes, it, it was. it's great. Speaking of Hotel Transylvania-related news, we just, in this past week, Gennady Tartakovsky uh, just signed a new deal with Sony Pictures Animation. So it's, what, he's doing two new feature projects, is that correct? And Yes. It, there's an R-rated, is this the live-action comedy, or...? Uh, no, I think it's, uh, I think they're both animated. So mm. one is called Fixed, and then the other one is Black Knight, which, mm. when I talked to him... A few weeks ago, ahead of Hotel Transylvania, he said was sort of a CGI version of what he was doing on Samurai Jack, uh, which is great. So mm -hmm. I'm very excited about both projects. When you look back at Gennady's entire history at Sony Pictures Animation and how we got the original Hotel Transylvania and he was third director in through the door. Yeah, yeah, at least. He might have even been like the fourth or fifth, but yeah, it was a pretty plagued production. 
but he he got into shape. Yeah, but this was just supposed to be a one-off, and come March of 2014, he announces, okay, I'm going to direct Hotel Transylvania 2, but what it seems to be is that Sony has sort of got him to agree to do this because they're going to do other projects, that if you do the sequel for us, you can do your Popeye movie, and his original project, what was it, Can You Imagine, is the, right. getting the name right? Yes. And that was a little boy who disappears into his own imagination and his parents have to go in and find him. Yes, exactly. Which sounds, obviously, sounds a little bit like Inside Out, obviously. Yeah, but the art I saw was just amazing in sort of a a Dr. Seuss kind of a way. So it was like, as cool as that stuff was, when the Popeye test came out in September of 2014, it's like... Oh, man, I really, 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 really wanted to see that movie. Yeah, that test, which I think is still online, is pretty incredible. Yeah, but here's the thing. Two months later, Sony gets hacked, and suddenly we're learning a lot of things that we probably should not know about, you know, what goes on behind the scenes at Sony, and... And you were the one, actually, March of 2015, four or five months after the hack, you're the one who broke... The story when you were over at Movie Phone about uh, kind of how Popeye was not moving forward. Yeah, it was just uh, we were debuting the trailer for Hotel Transylvania 2, and I, being the animation freak that I am, said, well, what's the deal with Sony? And he said, it's dead. And, and Sony had not made this announcement. And so I got some heated emails from Sony, and the <laughs> news got picked up pretty quickly that Sony was no longer going forward with Popeye. But what a crushing blow, especially since you read the, the emails and... And you know how contentious a production Hotel Transylvania 2 was for him. I've got a press report here from September 2015 where Kennedy's out doing press for Hotel Transylvania 2. And he, he flat out says, I'm not coming back for a third film. So, all right, we jump ahead three years. Now, Kennedy announces that he is, in fact, returning for Hotel Transylvania 3. And you have some interesting insights about that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, beyond the fact that he essentially got to fire Robert Smigel, who is Adam Sandler's longtime writing partner and wrote Hotel Transylvania and Hotel Transylvania 2 with Sandler, and who the Sony emails showed did not get along with uh, Gendy at all. You know, he said that by the time they were making the third Hotel Transylvania 3, it was basically the third set of executives at Sony Pictures Animation that he had actually had to deal with. And he says that every time there's a new set of executives, he has to prove himself. So doing Hotel Transylvania 3 was yet, was just the latest way of him proving himself to some suits so that they would allow him to do his original movies. And it looks like they finally are letting him do just that, which is just so great. I'm so happy. They seem to think that the new crew that's in charge there, that there is a unique piece of turf that Sony Pictures Animation can occupy. I mean, for example, when you look at Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I mean, the trailer that's out there right now, it's just amazing. It really does feel like a legitimate comic book film and just can't wait to see that and likewise cannot wait to see when the cuffs are taken off of Kennedy, what an R-rated animated project he's going to do. But, but at the same time, it kind of breaks my heart that this couldn't have happened a few years earlier because, you know, I just can't help but think about how cool Lauren Foss 
Medusa movie would have been. Yeah. Did you ever get to see any of that? Or I saw a little bit of the the artwork, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was going to be really cool. Do you want to run down sort of what the conceit was for that one? Sony bought an original pitch from Todd Alcott and Holly Golden. And it was described as a clever, heartfelt, animated comedy about a girl who's having the ultimate bad hair day. Lauren was kind enough one morning to sort of give me the Reader's Digest version of the movie. And I would love to be able to share it because it, it is honestly this smart, funny take on, you know, the whole Medusa, Jason, the Argonaut story. But I'm really kind of hoping that with Spider-Verse and with what's going on with Kennedy's two new projects that maybe Sony might circle around to this. So I don't want to necessarily spoil the story, but it was it was so smart, so funny. And her vision was she was basically going to get every great female comedian, whether they worked uh, Upright Citizens Brigade or, or SNL or, you know, it was going to be sort of a who's who of female comics coming into voice all the characters and it just killed me in november of 2015 where she revealed that she was no longer working on the project and sony was looking around for another director and that's really the last we heard about that well if hotel transylvania showed us anything it's that a good idea can (laughs) make it through many sets of hands before coming to the big screen and being a big hit so maybe it'll still make it well here's hoping now now speaking of deals in the trades monday of this week we saw get our news come down that Brenda Chapman and her husband Kevin Lima had signed a first look deal with 20th Century Fox to produce a series of live action hybrid and animated films through the production company they've set up and I, I believe it's called Twas Entertainment. Yeah, doesn't doesn't really roll off the tongue. No, but yeah. no, but but again, I am just so thrilled to have mm-hmm. Brenda and Kevin back in the mix. I mean, look, we all know from Brenda's history, you know, I mean, you know, one of the key story artists on um, Beauty and the Beast and then the head of story on Lion King. And she was one of the three directors on Prince of Egypt, which I'm not going to hold against her, you know, the, the kind of a too many cook <laughs> situation. But then there's Brave at Pixar, which yeah. kind of took on, you know, that whole story of her being basically pushed out the door, took on a whole new meaning this year with the Lassiter situation and all that. And Kevin, on the other hand, I mean... Kevin's just one of these guys who I've been waiting for his next project, which keeps, you know, he he always gets within like inches of, the, right. you know, I mean, what is it? He had the, the, the redo of Tom Thumb that was going to be live action. Was it on Mr. Limpet? They were going to redo Mr. Limpet. One of many people who have tried Mr. Yes, Limpet. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I guess. Besides that, Richard Linkletter did a version of Mr. Limpet. Who knows if that'll ever happen? I don't know if you read the Robin Williams bio that just recently came out. No, I watched the documentary, but I haven't read the bio yet. Okay, well, there's an interesting moment in it when Robin gets offered... Mr. Limpet, and the idea was that, you know, they would sort of CG his face or motion capture and put it on top of an animated body. But he had gotten the script after Jim Carrey turned it down. Uh-huh. And evidently Robin, particularly late in his career, really fixated on Jim Carrey and was just furious. It's like, I don't do Jim Carrey's leftovers and, you know, <laughs> just p- passed on the project. Anyway, getting back to Mr. Lehman, it's like, I think one of my favorite things that he's done 
over you know the the past decade or so was Enchanted for Disney. Have you seen that lately? I haven't watched it in a while now. It it holds up surprisingly well, but a lot of it is because Kevin, who directed the Goofy movie, co-directed Tarzan. The way he paces that movie, the way he turns Amy Adams' performance of Giselle from a cliched cartoon character to a real... I mean, it's beautifully paced, and there's some some really wonderful work there. But it kind of makes me crazy that here is Disney now looking at doing, finally doing the sequel, uh, which, according to Amy Adams, that it's still a thing, that, you know, they... They have a script, and they've they've signed a director, Adam Shackman, the, the the gentleman who directed Hairspray. Why wouldn't you circle back to the guy who did it right the first time? Yeah. Well, and the other thing is that where is where is Twas Entertainment being set up? Yeah. The twentieth century. Fox. Yeah, and so then that did, you know, as Drew is pointing out here, that with Disney acquiring Fox, that. There's a lot of stuff that's suddenly up in the air because the agenda that Fox corporate, you know, had set out isn't necessarily what the new owners Disney will have. And, and speaking of which, second half of the show, we're going to do a deeper dive on that. So let's do a quick break here and then we'll get right back to that story. And we're back. I was sent a copy of a wonderful new animation-related book, Springfield Confidential. This is by Mike Rice, who's been associated with The Simpsons forever. And so its subtitle of this book is Jokes, Secrets, and Outright Lies from a Lifetime Writing for The Simpsons. And I came across a story in this that Mike tells that it's so good, but it's like, (laughs) this can't possibly be true. Let's hear it. Okay, hang on. All right. Japan is the one market the Simpsons can't crack. Evidently, the Japanese don't like the fact that cartoon characters have four fingers. Disney actually goes to the expense of animating a fifth finger on Mickey Mouse in this market. What bothers the Japanese about four fingers? You won't believe the reason. The Yakuza members swear loyalty by amputating their pinkies. So having four fingers implies you're in the Japanese mafia. So evidently the Japanese can't tell the Simpsons from the Sopranos. That's unbelievable. Well, this immediately made me look for Japanese-specific Disney animation. And at first pass, I couldn't find anything. But it's like, it's one of these stories where I'm kind of hoping it's true, but right. can anybody <laughs> help us out here? Speaking of, of crime syndicates and that sort of thing, both you and I were thrilled that the, the news that broke this week about the Batman the Animated Series, the Blu-ray, that's coming out October oh, finally. 16th. Yeah, it's a box set. We've got not just the series, the two full-length movies, uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero. We've got audio commentaries from the cast and the crew. Look, anybody who actually saw this show back in the day recognizes the impact that it had. It's so funny because it was sort of Warner Brothers getting into the syndicated afternoon programming block that, that Disney had made so successfully with DuckTales and Tailspin. And they really pushed the edges, pushed out the borders. And again, it'll just be so nice to be able to revisit all of this material. Yeah, it's this year in particular, you know, like the last year between the Samurai Jack Blu-ray box set 
Avatar The Last Airbender finally being on Blu-ray, uh, the recent Gravity Falls complete series Blu-ray. It's a really been a great time to be a lover of, of home entertainment and animation because they've finally been coming out in beautiful high definition for the first time. And it's just going to be a thrill to be able to rewatch, you know, one of the greatest animated series of all time. Oh, I agree. In all of its glory. You mentioned Gravity Falls. Now, have you seen the graphic novel yet? No, not yet. I'm waiting for some of my friends in publishing to uh, okay. to get me a copy. But have you have you looked at it yet? I am heading out tomorrow to pick up my copy. I'm not willing to wait at this point. My, my daughter right. got to see it in California and just sort of blithered about how terrific it was so it's like all right i'm gonna go out and pick this up and while i'm at it pick up a copy of the the adventure zone graphic novel because uh, anyway um (laughs) we said we were going to get into talking about the disney fox deal which just two incredibly short shareholders meetings were held in new york city and and both the fox people and the disney people very quickly signed off on this seven billion dollar deal as the Wall Street Journal described, what Disney's getting for this sizable pile of cash is Fox's storied film and television studios, which are responsible for franchises like Avatar and The Simpsons, as well as stakes in the Sky PLC pay television company and the Hulu video streaming. Important to stress here that this, even with the, the shareholders signing off on this, this is not a done deal. In fact, uh, the day before they voted in New York City. Disney company representatives had reached out to Brazil's Administrative Council for Economic Defense because they need them to sign off on it. And in fact, I want to say there's upwards of 12 different, both countries and international organizations, uh, things like the European Union, or for that matter, the entire nation of China that have to sign sign off on this thing. So we're still not out of the woods. It's it's going to be the first half of 2019, late winter, early spring, before we get going here. And this makes a lot of people nervous, especially, you know, people who work for Fox and don't know what's coming next. And among the people who are probably, you know, spending way too much on adult diapers right now is the staff that works at Blue Sky Studio. It's, it's the animation operation that, that's based in, in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, when you were, were on the East Coast, did you ever get down there to to Blue Sky? Oh yeah, I had a lot of I had a lot of friends at at Blue Sky, and it was so amazing because I'm you've been there, right? No, you've been no. I, I, oh okay. I'm such a huge fan of what they do there, but you know when they relocated to Greenwich, I, I, were they? I want to say they were in White Plains. Yeah, I think they were. It's pretty. It's still pretty close to the border, but mm-hmm. it's just amazing that there's just you just kind of you know you go off the street mm-hmm. and in a little you know, kind of like industrial park mm-hmm. there is a world renowned animation studio just you know in this kind of nondescript building. Mm-hmm. But you know we were talking about how much we love them last episode and how much we hope that they at least have a place in the studio since Toon Studio uh, we talked about has recently gotten shut down. Drew and I are huge fans of what Blue Sky does. They do amazing work at a, you know, a price point that Disney and Pixar wish they could deliver great stuff on. But they've had their struggles at the box office lately. I mean, for example, Ferdinand, their, their last animated feature, which came out in December of this past year, only sold $84 million worth of tickets in North America, another 
211 overseas. And so, whoa, total box office, 296 million, you know, which given that Ferdinand's production costs were 111 million, didn't make all that much money for Fox when you factor in the cut that has to go to exhibitors and that sort of thing. And how much uh, marketing there was. Yeah. I don't know about in the, on the East Coast, but in L.A., that bull was on every bus stop and, every you know, it was it was all over the place. Yeah, and John Siena was out, you know, every time he turned around, he, he was doing it. I mean, he did his due diligence. Yeah. But just sometimes that happens. You, you make a film that just doesn't connect or is released on the wrong weekend. The problem is that before Ferdinand came out, we had Ice Age Collision Course, which was released July of 2016. We had the Peanuts movie. And neither of those were, were very big earners either. I mean, the Peanuts movie particularly broke my heart because I thought it was a really a brilliant movie adaptation of the Charles Schultz strip. And the fact, the way they brought Schultz's distinct line work. Uh, it was amazing. It was, it was. And so, but to look at, that thing cost $99 million to make. Eight years to develop, and, and really, every minute they spent showed up on screen. It was a great story, it was a funny, sweet movie. It only sold $130 million worth of tickets stateside. And then when you factor in that Peanuts really doesn't have the reach overseas that it does stateside, only sold 116 million tickets over there, so box office total of $246 million, which, again, when you're starting off with a price point of $99 million for your production costs, and then whatever you spent to promote it. I mean, that didn't make the folks at Fox happy. and But it was actually Collision Course that really concerned the folks at Fox because when that came up, now this was the fifth film in the Ice Age franchise. But during its stateside run, it only sold $64 million worth of tickets. And, and that's in all of North America. Which, when you look at the, the original Ice Age back when it was released in March of 2002, $176 million worth of tickets just in North America. Meltdown, the number two in the series, $195 million. Third film in the series, $196 million. With film four, the Continental Drift started to see some erosion. Not serious erosion, 161.3. So, you know, it steps down a little bit from 196. Mm -hmm. But to go from 161.3 million in ticket sales to 64 million... That's a flashing red light, especially overseas, where as popular as the Ice Age movies are here, overseas, Continental Drift, $715 million overseas. And then before that, Dawn of the Dinosaurs in 2009, $690. So you had this really consistent high number. When Collision Course finally came out in 2016, it did half half the business overseas. Wow. And then when you factor it in behind the scenes, Collision Course costs 105 to make. Continental Drift costs 95. Dawn of the Dinosaurs 90. Meltdown was 80. And the original, they got that smash hit for just $59 million. So when you combine That's crazy. the descending box office with the rising production costs, that doesn't make the people at Fox happy. And and then when you look at Ferdinand, which managed somehow to cost even more than the last Ice Age movie, instead of 105, this cost 111 to Meg. This is why Fox began looking beyond Blue Sky. They kept talking about how we're going to expand our Fox family offerings and our animated things. So what do they do? September of last year, they cut a deal with Locksmith Animation. 
it's a new name, but you know a lot of the talents there. I mean, for example, Sarah Smith, who's a big player there. She's a woman who directed Arthur Christmas, which, again, charming, again, you know, Ardman project. Love that movie. Yeah. It's so good. But they've already got a feature in the works, Ron Gone Wrong, and they're developing a second project for Fox based on Lisa Evans' Wed Wabbit books. And then on top of that, December of last year, Fox inks a two-year first-look deal with Stupid Buddies Studios, which, if you're an adult swim fan, you already know Stupid Buddies. You must watch Robot Chicken as oh, devoutly yeah, as I do. Yes. Did you ever get to see the thing they did for Crackle Supermansion? No, is it good? Oh, Brian Cranston voices basically this elderly Superman. It's it's wonderful. You you, you really have to check this out. But <laughs> so they were going to do some feature for Fox, the Untitled Sword Project. Given the type of stuff they do, got to assume it was going to be adult, it was going to be dog body, and it was going to be fun. And then right. right in the middle there, you know, Fox announces that they're going to make a Bob's Burgers movie, which I don't catch Bob's Burgers all that often when it's actually airing on Fox, but it's all over the place now in syndication. And these, it's a really well-written show. Yeah, it's really funny. And then, you know, to sort of drive the herd here, you know, Fox sets up a brand new management for Fox Animation. We get Andrea Maloro and Robert Baird, and they were going to be the co-presidents. And with the notion that, you know, here they were, they were going to sort of figure out how to write the ship creatively and financially at, at Blue Sky, and they, they were going to make sure that Locksmith Animation, you know, that their initial efforts were, were successful, and likewise that Stupid Buddies was going to, going to get the space that it needed and the attention it needed, and, and this Bob Burgers movie. And it, so this is sounds like a really good plan, and can't wait to see it in action, but December 14th of 2017, Walt Disney Company announces that it's going to be acquiring a large portion of 20th Century Fox, you know, that, that's particularly the, the film and television production. And, and of course, one of the entities that, that they're going to get, well, back when Disney was going to pay only $52.4 billion for it, was Fox Animation. And as we talked about, you know, on our last show, that Obviously, a wave of anxiety had to sort of roll through the animation side of things because Disney already has two up-and-running, thriving animation studios. You know, Pixar Animation Studio and Walt Disney Animation Studio. As Solo just proved that even with a top organization like Disney, you can pick the wrong weekend to release something or you can put together the wrong campaign and, you know, a film won't connect or won't succeed for some reason. Knowing that, is Disney, in fact, going to take on another animation studio? And, and so here are the, fe- the folks at Blue Sky. They're working on their next feature. It's called Spies in Disguise. Uh, it's supposed to come out in January of, of 2019. And w- w- it's what, Will Smith and Tom Holland are, are voicing characters? Yeah. But you, you have to wonder what they're thinking. Do we rate a slot? Nothing's going to impact Spies in Disguise because, like we, we said at the top here, it's going to take till the you know late spring, early summer of 2019 before this deal is finally you know settled out. But what happens then? Does Blue Sky get repositioned to just do stuff for Disney streaming service, or does it just get absorbed outright by Disney Pixar? Well, you've you've talked to me off off air that one division of Disney is anxious to work with the Blue Sky characters, correct? Okay, got to figure out how to tell this story without getting somebody in trouble. 
look at the most popular animated film franchises of all time. Number one is Despicable Me Minion movies. To date, they've made $3.7 billion worldwide. However, right behind that, number two is Ice Age. Ice Age 1 through 5 have earned to date $3.2 billion. Now, if you take that number and you parse it over five films, the average box office worldwide for an Ice Age movie is $645 million. I mentioned that figure because the interesting thing is if you break down the most popular animated franchises of all time by how, you know, how much individual films gross, that puts Ice Age right between Toy Story at $945.9 million and Cars, which is $469.4 million. And if you think about right now, is there a Disney resort around the world that doesn't have a Toy Story Land? No, I don't think so. Yeah, well, Paris has one? Yes, in fact, they got theirs put in at the studio fairly early on. I want to say it went in with the Crush's coaster. They had sort of that Pixar mini land that was put in there. So from an Imagineering point of view, this is a very tempting IP. Basically, the friend I was talking with at Imagineering was mentioning that as it became more obvious that Disney probably was going to be able to close this deal, that Comcast was going to pull out, the conversations about Ice Age and bringing these characters into the park began to really pick up speed. And where this gets especially interesting is that the park that would dearly love to get its hands on the Ice Age characters is Animal Kingdom at Disney's Hollywood Studio, which this is entirely appropriate because think about it. What's the, the IP that just went into that park but Avatar, which of course was owned by Fox, now owned by Disney. Right. They believe there's a genuine interest. There's tremendous pressure from Disney management about let's, you know, we're, we're going to end up paying $71 billion for all of these Fox assets and we want to make this money back in any way that we can. So bringing the Ice Age characters into the park would be a way to do that. It's conditional on Disney making it through the next 12 hoops, all of these international organizations <laughs> that have to sign right. off on the deal. Speaking of the parks and Pixar and all that, we should probably announce that Drew and I are going to do our first sort of fine-tuning live thing. How excited are you guys about that? Well, I'm hoping they're excited. I'd like a few people to I hope so. I'm very excited about it. Uh, so, yeah. Basically, this follows on the event that Len and I did last year, the Disney Dish Live show. And the folks at Storybook Destinations, you know, we had such a nice time working with them. And they came back and said, well, can we do something again this year? And... Uh, they were looking at the November time frame, and it turns out that literally the week that we were sort of kicking the, the idea around here, Disney announced that at the new Toy Story Land at the studio, they were going to create a holiday lighting package. And not only do you get all of the, you know, the wonderful Slinky Dog Dash and, you know, alien swirling sauces and that, but now there's going to be a, a new holiday lighting package there. And... Why don't we use that as a hook? Why don't we, you know, we've got this brand new land at uh, Disney Hollywood Studios and they're, they're starting their holiday lighting package on the 8th. 
turns out the weekend of the 9th through the 12th was available. So we grabbed it. And what we're basically planning on doing is that, that Drew and I will be meeting up with you folks and marching you basically through the entire Disney Resort. I mean, we're going to be... We'll start our day actually on Saturday over at the Animal Kingdom. That's where the very first built for the parks, Pixar attraction, the It's Tough to Be a Bug show, debuted back in April of, of 1998. Right, before the movie even came out. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's kind of interesting. If you ever get the chance to talk with any Rhythm of Hughes folks, you know, who, who, right. who worked yeah, on that. Right, yeah, because they thing. had to do the animation. Yeah. But yeah, and then we're going to head over to the Art of Animation Resort and walk you folks through the Finding Nemo and the Cars team wings of that hotel and talk about the challenges the Imagineers face with sort of increasing the size of these characters. And then that night, we actually go over to the Magic Kingdom. One of the things I particularly enjoy about this event is we're going to try to make it a little competitive. So we're going to put people on the Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin attraction, which, and you know, the person who comes out with the top score is going to get a, a major award. I have no idea what it is, but we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Bragging rights as well. Bragging rights. And then uh, Sunday, we're going to head over to uh, Epcot, and we're going to visit the, the Seas with Nemo attraction, and get to see Turtle Talk with Crush as we're making our way over to the Mexico Pavilion to check out the new Remember Me, the Make Your Face Like a, a Dias de Morto character. Drew and I are going to talk about how imagination may, you know, get a makeover that, that perhaps features emotional characters. You know, we're going to stand at the edge of World Showcase Lagoon and look at the enormous Ratatouille attraction building. Then we actually go back to the Coronado, and if you enjoy the podcast that you listen to today, Drew and I will be doing one live in front of an audience, and then that night we finish up by heading over to Hollywood Studios to go to Toy Story Land and checking out this wonderful new light lighting package, as well as these, you know, the whole, the brand new land itself and the two new attractions. And just in case you, you didn't do well in the Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, we'll also be awarding prizes for the top scores on Mid Toy Story Midway Mania. So very, very, very much looking forward to doing this event. Not just because I myself really am looking forward to checking out Toy Story Land, but doing these shows live when, and it's one thing Drew, when Drew and I do this where we're we're chatting over Skype or that sort of thing. But you get us in the same space and you get much better stories. Yes. I can't wait. And I think uh, the one thing I have to just tell everybody interested in going, wear comfortable shoes. Because yeah. we're going to be walking a lot. This is true. This is true. And speaking of great stories, unfortunately for this week, we, we had a pile of San Diego Comic-Con related stories that we just did not get to because of the Fox News. But I promise... Next week, and we'll come back, you know, much faster with the new show, folks. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that topic. But for now, you know, on behalf of, of Mr. Taylor and myself, I want to thank you for listening today. And uh, be sure to tune in again very soon for another fine tune. Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. <laughs>